Welcome to the Gods of Tomorrow podcast, where we discuss religious deconstruction, secular humanism, political activism, and epistemology. Together, we explore how to solve human problems with human solutions. We deconstruct, we activate, and then most importantly, we live our fucking lives. I am your host, Josh Ra, and you are the gods of tomorrow. All right, all right, all right. Let's uh, let's do this shit. Welcome back, everybody, to the Gods of Tomorrow. This is episode ten. I am Josh Ra. You can call me Josh. And today we're going to be talking about the origin of prayer, ritual, and human connection. I'm excited to dive into this. It is a complex but interesting topic, and I guess I should just throw out there that there is a lot of research out there on this, and I'm not sure I'm going to fit everything within the time frame that we have today. So maybe this will need a part two, but I'm going to walk you through my journey in trying to discover how we adopted prayer as a ritualistic piece of our belief systems of our religion and looking at it in early Christianity. Now, in trying to figure out how prayer formulated, I started looking at test studies on modern hunter-gatherer societies in Africa, Australia, the Philippines, South America, and along the western coast of North America, I've mentioned before that I took a magic, witchcraft, and religion course when I was in college as an elective, and it gave me a certain interest in diving into these cultural studies, trying to figure out what I could around these populations that were unique to me and my own experiences. Now, one of the articles that was published in 2016 by Hervey Peoples and Pavel Duda discusses the origin of religion in these tribes, and they found that 100% of 33 selected tribes in their study had a belief of animism as a religious characteristic of their specific belief system. They determined that animism is a feature of human mentality and a byproduct of cognitive processes that enable social intelligence and theory of mind. Now, if you haven't followed my TikTok, I spoke about theory of mind recently. And in summary, theory of mind is why we are able to attribute intention to agents around us. In the most logical sense, we would apply this intention to other people or animals, anything that is living or breathing, and may impact our livelihood based on that intention. However, this underlying belief in animism, where we consider all elements of the world to have life within it, led us to apply agency to things that were not agents. When a bush rustles, when the wind blows, or when lightning strikes or volcanoes erupt, we begin attributing agency to these unexplainable events, which led us to have a God faculty. That is, people begin to believe in the supernatural, or agents beyond nature that could impact their livelihood. Now, one of the most fascinating conclusions of the study by Peoples and Duda 
is that animistic thinking would have been present in early hominins before language had developed. This would make sense that a nonverbal Paleolithic early human would not need language to hear a rustle in the bushes, interpret it as a warning, and flee to a higher elevation to avoid danger. Upon reaching a higher space and being safe or finding themselves unscathed, they would then have this notion to support the idea that the wind rustling in the bushes had agency, it warned them, and they'd probably be likely to heed such a warning again, even though there may have been nothing dangerous beyond the shrubbery itself. Now, if you have not investigated anthropological universal or cultural universal, this is the belief that certain elements, patterns, traits, etc., are common to all known human cultures worldwide. I like to call it the human condition. And animism, in this sense, would be a cultural universal trait that is shared by all cultures without needing influence from another culture. In other words, all of us as individuals, because of our evolutionary tract, have a tendency, or an absolute even, to develop animism as a first concept about ourselves and the world around us. Now, another interesting finding that was in the study I've been talking about is that 79% of those 33 tribes believed in an afterlife. The correlation of data demonstrated that a belief in an afterlife was necessary and preliminary to any tribe practicing shamanism, ancestor worship, or the worship of high gods. The piece of information that really stuck out to me, though, is that ancestor worship had to exist prior to a belief in gods. In addition, high gods were not actively worshipped in most of these hunter-gatherer societies, even today, the modern ones, because they have no interest in adopting a morally punishing active high god, if any gods at all. You are free to dive into this phenomenon if you'd like to, but for me, what I found is that this supports the ideology that high gods and religion were not necessary until the adoption of agricultural methodologies that required large groups of people to remain in one place and then needed to cooperate with one another. Even modern hunter-gatherer societies that are on the move don't need this because they are not staying in one place within a large group. In other words, strict religious and political frameworks were developed to control people so civilization could exist. Now, while I am mentioning this one study as an introduction into this topic on the origin of prayer, I do want to point out that this same conclusion of animism being a basis to belief in the supernatural and high gods not having a correlation to hunter-gatherer societies has been supported in research that dates back to at least the 1930s. I haven't really gone much further back than that, but at least the 1930s we've seen this proven time and time again. Now, during my deconstruction, studying the connection between psychology and religious beliefs was a big thing for me, specifically prayer. It was a major turning point for me. I was a behavior specialist at the time, and I remember reading the studies about how prayer, meditation, ritualistic practices, and the like all impacted the brain in a similar way to give the same sense of awareness and mindfulness, no matter the entity being worshipped. Whether I spent an hour praying to the God of Christianity, or the Flying Spaghetti Monster, or, as George Carlin would say, Joe Pesci, 
Research said it would make no difference in having better mental health, emotional health, or spiritual health, nor would it have any impact on whether my prayers were heard or not. I do not want to say that I don't believe that practicing and self-reflection is useful or whether prayer, meditation, or private introspection doesn't have benefits because I do. But how you focus that attention is not quantitatively significant. And yeah, I tested this out by praying to different entities and beings, including myself. And after many, many months, I did find that nothing significant changed in my life. And today, after not praying for over a decade, I would argue that, if anything, my life is better. Because the time I typically would spend praying has been spent doing something active that improved my quality of life. Anyway, I digress. I do want to talk about the origin of prayer, and I promise we're going to get there. But first, I do want to talk a little bit about the efforts of psychology in trying to examine prayer. Despite some of my pinpointed videos on the destructive nature of prayer, which I'll talk about here at the end, I do want to recognize that prayer from a psychological perspective is multifaceted. By definition, prayer means to establish a cognitive connection in three directions. Inward, or self-connection. Outward, human-to-human connection. And upward, human-divine connection. When these studies are conducted on prayer, they also look at the intentionality of the prayer, where outward may include prayer on behalf of someone else or as a response to another's suffering. Upward may have to do with the searching for stillness or due to traditional teachings that were passed down to you. And inward is where you are experiencing your own turmoil or you're evaluating your own spiritual status. Psychology has also notated that some pray as a petition for one's own desires to be fulfilled or for one's own understanding of justice to be executed. This is typically where I have an issue with it. Personally, though, I do like this framework because it echoes my own understanding of prayer being communication or a communication paradigm that is central to human development. For instance, we know that young children, even prior to the age of one, develop receptive language before they have the capacity to verbalize their thoughts or feelings. Another thought that comes to mind with that is that earlier we talked about how animism existed prior to language. In the same way, I can see how internal prayers or an attempt at communication could exist before expressive language which has led me to wonder if a less rigid and regulated formulation of prayer that we see in church actually existed among early societies, even if they did not have the means to speak as we do today. Perhaps their inward intention and unspoken desires could be classified as prayer. I also like the communication perspective around the purpose of behind prayer because humans have an increased capacity for sociality. And we have maintained this throughout the 19 million years since our ape line evolved from our last common ancestor. As a species, we had to work together to survive, which demanded that we had an emotional connection with one another, which religion perpetuates. Jonathan Turner, he's the author of The Emergence and Evolution of Religion, speaks to crucial developments in our subcortical parts of the brain that allowed for a broader range of emotion that was necessary for our bonding with one another and the development of religion. It is that range of emotion and the combination of different feelings like happiness and anger or shame and guilt that allowed us to develop feelings that would eventually develop religious practices like prayer. 
Researchers like Jane Goodall have actually seen this in apes, where they become emotionally aroused in social settings, have various capacities for empathy, have a sense of reciprocity and justice, see the self as an object in the environment, and they perform rituals. Of course, we don't visibly see them giving an outward expression of prayer, but we do see groups of apes go through rhythmic movements together. They will stand together and throw rocks into a waterfall. Uh, they will spend time looking at majestic wonders in the world with awe as a group. And I point this out because this is an indicator that a closely related species reflects what we ha may have experienced in our own evolution before breaking away from a common ancestor. Our early experiences and rituals may have been tribal dancing and grunting and an engagement with the wonders of our environment as though they held some agency over our well-being and livelihood. And in the end, religion, including prayer, is about celebrating rituals together. And as Emily Durkheim said, it's a means of us sharing a feeling together. All right, let's freeze time for a minute, knock over the hourglass, and look at what we've established so far. We've talked about the nature of hunter and gatherers and their belief in animism, or this idea that life permeates all things, whether it's animate or inanimate. We've talked about the theory of mind, even to the point that we've given utility to the abstract or the unseen. We've talked about how psychology has seen prayer as an attempt to communicate to self, others, or the divine. And we've also looked at how the evolution of language may have impacted this means of communication. And we've talked a little bit about how thousands of years of human development has impacted the architecture of our brain to be driven to have shared feelings and experiences with our kith and kin, solidifying them through ritualistic expressions that we can then embed within our culture, which we can then drive meaning from to give ourselves a sense of purpose. There's a lot to unpack in all of that. But now I want to talk about my journey into searching for the archaeological findings that might shed some light on the question on where did prayer originate from. Well, I first looked at the instructions of the Sharupak, uh, which do not speak of prayer, but they were a known piece of Sumerian wisdom literature that mentioned a coming flood and had precepts of wisdom that would later be included in the Ten Commandments, as well as sayings that are reflected in the book of Proverbs. And while this had a tone of placing utility in the unseen and confirming the concepts that, you know, they were ideas that were assimilated into early Judaism and later Christianity, it wasn't really what I was looking for. But finding the instruction of Sharupak led me to another one of the oldest surviving pieces of literature in the world, the Kesh Temple Hymn. This is dated around 2600 BCE, and it seemingly is addressed to deities, and it could be called a prayer. I do not know that we have any evidence of any written prayers prior to the Kesh Temple Hymn. Um, it's also been called the Liturgy to Nintud, the Goddess of Creation, where Nintud is called the Mother of Mankind. And this tells us at least that expressive prayer has been a practice of human civilization for about 5,000 years, and that it preceded biblical teachings, which is really no surprise to anyone. It preceded Christianity. That's not shocking. Now, there is other evidence around this period for written prayers and other civilizations, too, that meet the same criteria that I outlined earlier. 
self-connection, human-human connection, and human-divine connection. We have Egyptian pyramid texts that contain spells and incantations addressed to the gods. We have ancient Greece with ceremonial prayer that was ritualized. Uh, the Japanese Shinto with wishes or favor instead of lengthy devotions for their own uh, gods. The list kind of continues and it's echoed in later regions too, among the Celtic, Germanic, and Slavic regions, including Norse prayers and the poetic Eddas. We could also look at aboriginals who have prayers to the great wit or the Hopi Indians with their prayer sticks. And like I said earlier, this is a cultural universal. Our language eventually gave way to our practice of ritualizing and expressing cultural understandings that were shared among groups. In my education toward my PhD in metaphysical sciences, we studied the core root sounds, sometimes called mantras, that were believed to hold power in things like magical practices and meditation, those types of things. They were supposed to help you reach a higher state of consciousness. Each syllable was said to be impregnated in spiritual power. This would be like the classic um, which is believed to be the first sound of the universe, or a mantra like satanama. Satanama, which means infinity, birth, death, rebirth. And I only tell you this because this understanding of sounds has a direct connection to my understanding of the formulation of ritualized prayer. The Rig Veda was written around 1200 BCE and has the first appearance of the word Brahman. I understand this is not our oldest account of written prayer, but it gives insight into the formation of prayer in history. Today, we understand Brahman as the reality or experience of timelessness or infinite consciousness in which everything we know is. But in its first written account, it was understood as being synonymous with prayer or spell. To utter it was sacred and it held magical power. The Sanskrit root brh reflected the expansion of breath in the chest that allowed power to be spoken into existence lifting a mere human to a place where they held the essence of godhood by reciting the sacred words. This type of belief around the spoken word is accepted by many belief systems now, from paganism to Christianity, where the words we speak hold power and can cause good or harm, or speaking our version of truth into the universe can influence the outcome of human situations or even change the will of a deity. And so I can see how this early conceptualization of how us speaking these magical words or these incantations or these prayers had some type of influence over these unseen beings that had utility over our lives and why we practiced those. Now, in regard to prayer in the early Church of Christianity, it's not too surprising that this was already developed in surrounding cultures at the time to be adopted by the early church from the 1st to 3rd centuries. Greco-Roman culture and Judaism were known to be at communal meals in the Hellenistic world among pagans and Jews, and Christians copied the Jewish practice of blessing God at the Eucharistic Supper, which Jews were known to do during their own meal practices at the time. Philo is one who identified how Jews offered prayers and hymns during their celebrations, which I won't go off on a tangent, but the piece of singing in congregations was heavily influenced by Greco-Roman culture, 
which is something that Jews and Christians adopted in their own festivities and worship in the early centuries. It gave them a sense of power uh, to be able to practice these types of things. Now, the way that Christians prayed and worshipped became their own ritualistic way of celebrating and finding a commonality with one another, even if they borrowed practices from other groups, which some would tell you is how they assimilated pagans among their numbers. However, by the end of the second century, Clement of Alexandria began eliminating certain songs and actions during worship to distinguish themselves from others. And Ignatius also is known to have this intention by promoting certain songs that were essentially prayers and practices to strengthen the Christian church. To further bring followers into the fold, the early church also expected its attendees to speak Alleluia at the end of the Odes to Solomon. This is similar to how Christians now cry out Amen after a prayer from someone in their community. As with many groups in history, specific prayers, hymns, and ritualistic practices aimed to edify its congregation and secure them within the fold of the community, and Christianity followed suit in utilizing the same tactics, seemingly somewhat intentionally based on the early church fathers' writings, to strengthen their influence. And perhaps there was no understanding of where these prayers originated from prior to these centuries of antiquity, but they were using the same tactics. Now, specifically, in regard to prayer in days of antiquity, people were known to pray to gods on different occasions and invoke the gods. It was usually at the closing of a symposium, and some in the region around like 60 BCE were known to do customary rites once a month, gathering in prayer. Kind of reminds me of what communion is now. Uh, Jews practiced prayer in their houses of prayer, and the priests would preside over the procedure by saying grace before community meals. This was a custom that was easily adopted again by Christians coming out of pagan and Jewish belief systems as it was a common place in their surrounding culture. And as you can imagine, other types of prayers became part of their practice too, as different individuals from different backgrounds joined the church. You started to see prayers that included praises and petitions, intercessions and benedictions, and they came from all sorts of different places where prayer was interpreted differently in cultures that had the same underlying themes. I know we are running short on time. I simply want to share that Christian prayers have evolved and changed from where they originated from. And there's even been speculation that the Lord's Prayer was pieced together from different things Jesus supposedly said, though it was not an actual instruction that was delivered by him in how to pray. If you want to read more on this topic, I would recommend looking at The Earliest History of the Christian Gathering by Valerie A. Alikin, A-L-I-K-I-N. For myself, I personally think that prayer serves a purpose for many people, and it can certainly have a place among human beings in regard to connections with one another. When I think of prayer, I again look at it being in those three categories, inward, self-connection, Outward, human-human connection, and upward, human-divine connection. Though I would make a couple of caveats, which you might expect. Uh, one, I believe the human-divine connection, although perceived as being upward, it's also self-connection, and it can also be perceived as being inward. I don't fault theists who believe in a deity or deities beyond themselves, but in my own experience, I don't find it necessary. 
and two, I think human-human connection with prayer is permissible when it is with permission. Praying for someone else against their will to invoke a deity they may not want in their lives or they don't believe in at all is just fucking rude. I, I don't think it'll have an impact on their life. I've talked about this before, especially based on the studies that I've seen on the effectiveness of prayer, but this type of action is what many would identify as being baneful magic, even if the intention is good. And I believe that this practice probably stems from some paganism that existed prior to Christianity. Instead of tearing into the heart of this right now, I just want to leave you with a quote from Mankind's Search for God, which, surprisingly enough, was written by the Jehovah's Witnesses. And they are describing magic in this quote. Here it is. In its most basic sense, magic is an effort to control or coerce the natural or supernatural forces to do man's bidding. Not knowing the real cause of many everyday happenings, people in their earlier societies believe that the repetition of certain magical words or incantations or the performance of some ritual could bring about certain desired effects. And for me, when you are praying for somebody else, against their will, without their permission, that's exactly what you're doing. All right, everybody, I hope that you've enjoyed this really quick run-through of my understanding of the origin of prayer and how it came together and developed in the evolution of humanity and where it has gotten to today. Like I said, I think there's probably more on this topic that we could explore, and it might need an episode two. I guess just reach out and let me know what you would like to know more about. Thank you all so much for hanging out with me. I appreciate your time. And for what it's worth, thank you. Now, get the hell out of here. Go and live your best life. Go be the best version of yourself. And I will see you all next time.